The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, for the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Amen. Father in heaven, we give thanks and praise and honor to you today as we gather as your people, the church. Lord, we pray that you would be with us today by your spirit, that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit upon us, your children, that we would think and say and sing praises to you in ways that are glorifying to you, that lift up the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would continue to build this, your church, that we might remember the gates of hell do not prevail against it. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as one people, the church, as we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to look there. Because this is a profession of your faith, I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
For all who cling to the Lord Jesus by faith, not trusting in anything else to save them but him alone, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon. From Romans chapter 13. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Amen. Let's continue to worship our Lord by singing together hymn number 584, Go Labor On. the children can come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all, even some of our older 
boys and girls up here with us. How wonderful. I wanted to talk with you this morning about what you do with doubts. What do you do with doubts? Does anybody know what a doubt is? Got some honest no's. Yes. Um, this, when when you aren't really sure about something and you and you're scared, it's pretty decent. So I want to tell you about a story. Thinking about doubts, there's a story in the book of Mark about a man who had a son who had always been sick. He had always been sick, and they came to Jesus and they said, "If you can do anything about this boy, would you please help him?" Because from the time that he was young, he's had this spirit in him. And this spirit would cause the little boy to fall on the ground and convulse. And he would be on the ground, walling around in the dirt. Have you ever done that? Got some interesting looks. <laughs> you never wallowed around in the dirt complaining? No. No. No, some hearty no's. Well, this little boy did that. And he foamed at the mouth and his... His dad was really distraught. And he went to Jesus and he said, Can you help him? And Jesus says, Well, how long has he done this? And he said, From his childhood. And often it's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Can you imagine going to Jesus and saying, If you can do anything, have compassion? Do you suppose that Jesus had the power to do anything? Think so? He absolutely did. And Jesus said to the man, to the dad, If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father, it says immediately the father cried out to the Lord Jesus with tears. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to encourage you, covenant children. Where do you go with your doubts about life, about the Lord Jesus? about His power to help you and to save you. Does He love me? Does He care for me? Is He with me? Jesus has broad enough shoulders to, to weigh and carry your weighty doubts. As you wonder, is He good? Is He right? Will He forgive me? Is there true forgiveness of sins? Go to Jesus with your doubts. You may run to Him with them. Don't run to the world. Don't run to your own heart. And don't even run... To people necessarily. Run to the Lord Jesus with your doubts. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for our covenant children here this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the, the sounds of crying babies even in our sanctuary this morning. For the signs of life that you show us in this world. Lord, I pray for our covenant children that you would keep them close to you. That even as this dad said in his tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray, Lord, that you would help our covenant children in their doubts. If they say to us, I don't know if the Bible's true. Can I really trust it? Is what it says about Jesus real? Can my sins really be forgiven? I pray, Lord, that they would run to you, that we as their parents and as members of this congregation would point them to you, not out of fear, but because you do love us. Lord, I pray that you would protect them, that you would have your hand upon them, and that you would guide them in your word. And I pray, Lord, for them, that as they study your word, that you would hide it in their hearts, that from a young age they would know the Bible, and that it would be what helps them to walk in the way to obey you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thank you. This morning, for our responsive reading, we're going to read together Psalm 146. It's on page 839 in the hymnal. I want to ask you to turn there as we prepare to to read together. Uh, Page 839. Psalm 146. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 839. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fathers and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion. For all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together again and turn in your hymnal to number 443 as we worship the Lord, singing together, Hark the Voice of Jesus Crying.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, as we started a new month, we have a new uh, prayer request. We're going to be praying for one of our missionaries. Uh, Mr. Joel Brown is RUF Ministry Associate on the campus at South Carolina State, and we will continue to pray for him. You may remember a few months ago, we were praying for him as he went through uh, his licensure exams. And he is preparing even now to begin campus ministry again, to be in the the dining hall, meeting with students, praying with them, engaging them in the gospel. So we want to pray for uh, Joel and for his ministry there this year. But I also wanted to take the moment this morning to pray for um, our students, those of you who are about to go back to school, for our teachers, as you maybe have already been back to school, and uh, take time to pray for this year ahead. That the Lord would bless learning, that he would bless our children, that he would keep them safe and keep them healthy and strong. And most of all, that they would continue to know the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be in your presence. To call upon you as Father. To pray knowing that you hear us and that it is your prerogative to answer the prayers and the petitions of your people in the time that you have ordained. In the time that you ordained before the world was formed. You knew that we would be here today as your people gathered for worship. You know every thought of our hearts. You know every desire that we have, every struggle that each family is dealing with and each person. All that we go through. You know us through and through. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know and to believe by faith that you are good, that you do answer our prayers, that even though at times it may seem that the answer is taking a while, that you do answer according to your goodwill. Lord, we pray that you would also be with us as we wait, that we would do so by faith. Lord, I pray for your people here at Lebanon. There are many concerns, many prayer requests that each of us have. That we have already prayed even in this day. Things that we found out even today, Lord. Reasons to pray and to ask you for mercy and for grace. Lord, I pray for our church family. I pray for our spiritual condition before you. That we would know that it is with you whom we have to do. I pray, Lord, that you would build up our faith. That we would know you. I pray for your people that they would have delight in reading your word. And that you would open for them the scriptures each time they read their Bibles. That they would commune with their Savior. Knowing that it is from you that you have given the words of life. And Lord I pray for those in our midst who are discouraged. Those who are anticipating uh, medical procedures and doctor visits and hospital stays. That you would be very near to them. That you by your abiding presence and the peace that you promise to us in your word. That you would be with them. Mighty in their midst. Lord, I lift up to you our our school children, those who are in the public schools, those who are in private schools or homeschooling, those who have already started back and those who anticipate going this week. Lord, I pray for the safety of our children as they study. Lord, we know that there's no place that the, the curse has not gone, but we sing and we rejoice knowing that Jesus came to deliver people as far as the curse is found. We pray, Lord, that you would protect our children. We ask for it, for your mercy. Lord, I pray for children as they sit in classes that they will learn, that they will retain the information that they need to learn. 
I pray that you would give them a mind to know that everything that they are learning is part of this world that you've created. And that I pray, Lord, you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy to try to rewrite history or say that you are not God. And Lord, I pray for our teachers especially and the the situations that they are in to teach our children that you would give them grace and mercy and strength. Lord, I pray that you would help them in difficult situations where interpersonal relationships with other teachers or administration might be strained, but they have to go in the classroom and, and put on a smile and put those things aside and teach children. Children from every different walk and block of this earth. People who have families and people who have broken homes. Lord, I pray that you would use our teachers. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the teachers that we have here in our midst. Homeschooling moms and teachers who go into public schools and private schools. Lord, I pray that you would give them the heart to be a light and a witness for you. And Lord, I pray that you would give them endurance. Help them to trust in you as much on the days that are good as they do on the days that are hard. And Lord, I do lift up to you Joel Brown, one of our missionaries that we support. I pray, Lord, that you would be filling him with your spirit for your work on the campus of South Carolina State. That this is the second year ever that ministry has been done on that campus. I pray, Lord, for conversions on that campus. That lost souls will hear the gospel and believe. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear and to rejoice in this next year of how you are pushing back the kingdom of darkness and bringing souls into your kingdom of light. Lord, I pray for Joel that you would protect him, that you would fill his mind with your word, and that you would help him, Lord, not to back down in the face of the attacks of the enemy, that he would not cave to the social pressures that exist on that campus, and that he would be a beacon of light when it seems that so many other lights have gone out. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for his ministry. We praise you for his obedience to you. And we do pray, Lord, that you would continue to to be with him as he studies and prepares for his ordination exams next year. Lord, we thank you that you hear us. And we pray now as we come to your word that you would open our minds, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would hear the words of life from the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 11 to 13 this morning. Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. This is the word of the Lord. Let us, therefore... Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today in our summer series, Being Still in the Busy, we are focused on Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. The sermon is entitled, Laboring to Enter His Rest, as we were exhorted there in verse 11. 
Just as a reminder, this pastoral letter, the book of Hebrews, is a letter from a pastor to ethnic Hebrew people, the historical people of God, the ones whom the scriptures say received the covenants, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the Ark of the Covenant, the law of God, who enjoyed his blessings for generations. This pastor is writing to these ethnic Hebrews, and he's exhorting them to take a long, hard look a realistic look at their ethnic and their spiritual heritage. Not to reminisce about the good old days, remembering times when things were great and somehow forgetting the things that were bad about their spiritual heritage. But also not to look at history and say that the best way to remember it is to rewrite it. We have to write out the things that were our mistakes, the things that were our disobediences and our sinfulness. He says, no, take a long, hard look at your ethnic and your spiritual heritage. Remember with grateful hearts the many, countless gospel advantages that God has bestowed upon you. That's what he's exhorting them. Do not forget the blessings the Lord has poured out on you. But also, in the same breath, he says, may you never forget that generation that fell dead in the wilderness. Remember the blessings that they received, the wonders of God's hand that they saw, and that ultimately they died in unbelief, not laying hold of the promise that God said they could go into the promised land. They died in the wilderness, not because they were unwilling to drive out the enemies that were in front of them. They died in the wilderness because they were unwilling to battle their cold, unbelieving hearts. When they looked at the promised land and saw the beauty of it from afar, they said we would rather be slaves in Egypt than live by faith in God in the promised land. This is where Hebrews 4, 11 to 13 hits us today. Are you laboring to enter his rest by faith and belief in the gospel or not? It is a very simple and direct question. But you will notice throughout the time that we sit here together this morning that it is easy to squirm and wiggle, to focus on small things that are insignificant, or find a detail and get hung up on that, rather than looking at the status of your heart. Am I walking in faith? Am I laboring to enter the rest that the Lord Jesus came and died for? Or am I hoping to look like a Christian so other people will think I fit in? This morning there are two headings to our sermon. Number one, how do you do it? How do you labor to enter into this rest that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about? And number two, the gracious ministry of God's word. So number one, how do you do it? He says in verse 11, be diligent. He's describing how we should be thinking about our spiritual lives. He means to endeavor, to labor for To strive for, meaning you can't be slack or take anything for granted. Your walk with the Lord Jesus, if it is a living and real walk, if you have faith, it can't be half-hearted. It can't be something that you multitask and do along with other things. It can't be subbed out. You can't find someone else to take care of your spiritual journey. It requires all of you. Absolutely all of you. 
It can't be reduced to a set of manageable commands or watered down instructions. The Bible says that walking with the Lord Jesus and being rightly related to him, having faith is like a death. Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And this life which I now live by faith in the Son of God. He said, I live by faith. And then he ends, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that who you have faith in? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus? Are you diligently applying your heart to it? Only pride would say, as you think about the Christian life, or maybe you've even thought it this morning, only pride would say, I can live the Christian life, and it will demand less of me than it did of Jesus. Do you take up the call to die daily? Or do you see Jesus as someone who can come along and help you get the things that your heart desires? To belong to Jesus means that there are certain desires that you may have that you have to lay down. And daily you have to lay them down at his feet. And say, Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Is Jesus a helper for you, giving you what you need? Or are you diligently, with all of your energy and all of your soul, following after him? How do you do it? I believe one of the ways that you follow after Jesus is expecting opposition. Expecting opposition. The Israelites who left Egypt as they were journeying to the promised land encountered difficulties and storms and contrary winds to real belief and obedience. They had times of a lack of food and water. Sometimes they were wearied from the tediousness of their journey and from the heat And there were reports of giants in the land that they were going to and fortified towns. These were things that they encountered on their journey. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, just as they encountered opposition, you better believe that you are going to encounter it. But this is not the opposition I'm talking about. I believe these were just the circumstances that revealed an opposition in their own hearts. It was opposition from within, not from without. I believe the issues that the Israelites faced were simply ways that the Lord used to show them you are not yet walking by faith. You enjoyed the riches of Egypt. You enjoyed the monotony of the routine. You enjoyed their food. And so the first things that God brought them to, a crisis of belief was water and food and a place to stay. And who's going to protect us? Who's going to watch over us? Those are the very things that we clamor for and the world clamors for, doesn't it? Who's going to take care of us? The opposition was from within. The crisis was whether or not they would believe God's promise or would they murmur against him in unbelief. How do you do it? He says, be diligent. Expect opposition within your own heart. As you read the commands of God, as you hear him call you to faith, You should expect, because of your remaining sinfulness, there is going to be opposition in my heart. I will read his word, and there will be things that I don't want to do. I'd rather set it down than obey. Expect that there's opposition in your own heart. Number three, how do you do it? Deep, 
abiding humility. This is an exhortation. And along with every other command that you read in the Bible, it's an impossibility staring you in the face. You don't have the resources to do this. He says, be diligent to walk in, to go into this rest. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. It's not possible. Enter this rest. You would think if anybody could do anything, we could rest, right? Anybody can sleep. Anybody can sit on the couch. Anybody can not do work. That sounds great. Sign me up. And yet, it is absolutely impossible for you to rest in Jesus and trust in Him unless He gives you faith. And it should keep you humble. It should keep you lowly. It should keep your heart tethered to Him. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing, not even enter into this rest. Without me, you can do nothing. You and I should be asking God daily for the grace to remain at the foot of the cross. Help me, Lord, never to forget His sacrifice for me. Help me, Lord, never to forget that it was while I was a sinner Christ died for me. Help me never to believe that I've arrived. Help me to remember I come empty-handed. There are no good things that I can do. Nothing I can do to earn this. He says, pray that the Lord would protect you from the self-deception. That keeping rules, or doing good things, or looking the part, or serving God in His church will make you acceptable in Jesus' sight. None of those things do. The only thing that that qualifies you for is the wrath of God. The only way that you get entrance into heaven, the only way that He allows you in is to say, He said I could come. The man on the middle cross, Reverend Alistair Begg says, He said I could come. What is true of our first turning in conversion to the Lord Jesus, what is true of our first turning in conversion of the sinner to the Lord must continue throughout their Christian life. You don't deal with God one day, repent of your sins one time, and then for the rest of your Christian life it's over. You have to continue in it. It's a posture that you stay in. There must be daily conversion of your heart to God. And the more you deepen your repentance the more room you have in your heart for the rivers of living water. The more you know that you are stained to the bone with selfish impulses, the more you know you will see how you hold out against the will of the Lord. You know what's in you is not the power to do it, it's resistance. I don't want to obey, I don't want to lose my identity in His. I want a name for myself, I want to be great, I want people to think I'm great. I want good things. If I surrendered my life to Jesus, if I'm one of those real Christians, I'm going to lose things. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake will keep it. The more you will go to Christ as a thirsty sinner who finds deep cleansing and more life and great joy in the Spirit. That's an extended quote from Jack Miller. So that's number one. How do you do it? How do you do it? You do it by being diligent. You do it by expecting opposition in your own soul. And you do it by deep humility, relying on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot do this on my own. 
And it's not within me to do it. And Jesus says, I never intended that it would be in you. Because I receive glory by being your sufficiency. I receive glory by being your strength. And it's actually not about you. It's actually about me, Jesus says. So number two, the gracious ministry of God's word. And I want to begin with a little preface to this. I actually had intended to to preach this particular section, verses 12 and 13, as a reminder of the judgment seat of Christ. That one day every one of us will stand in his presence and we will give an account. And I believe that absolutely to be true. It is true. It's in the Bible. There There is no equivocation from me about that. But I believe this text in verses 12 and 13, speaking about the power of the living word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts to the bone and to the marrow and divides them and divides the soul and the spirit. I believe he's talking about something he was just addressing in verse 11. Because there were people who were walking, they thought with God, but they were self-deceived. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written in chapter 3 the way that he did. These were people who thought they were Christians because they were part of the ethnic family of God. We had the covenants. We had the promises. We had the priesthood. We have the land, after all. We received the law of God. They were relying on their Christian heritage and not on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not on Jesus Christ. I wanted to preach this text as a reminder of that judgment. But I'm not going to do that. I want to ask you, what is your capacity to be self-deceived about sin, about the nature of God's word as you read it? Is reading the Bible for you life and breath? Do you feed upon it as you would eat a meal? Is it real to you? Do you feed on Jesus? Or do you read the Bible so you can check off a box and say, I did my devotion, check. Do you meet with Jesus or do you read a book? Jesus didn't die to give you a book. He died to give you himself. And his beautiful word is his revelation of himself to you. What is your capacity for self-deception? I believe for all of us it's very high. Our capacity to deceive ourselves. We shouldn't be shocked. Maybe you would be if we named our sins in this room this morning. But none of us should be shocked. When we look at God's word and it lists out sins and we see those sins arising in our hearts, it shouldn't shock us that we might think it's okay if nobody sees it to cheat, to steal from the company because after all, they're not paying me enough, to lie. No one's going to know. I'm the only one who knows. It's okay to lie and cut corners. It's okay to steal. It's okay to do any of the sins that the Bible lists. There's an inclination in my heart to do it. And if I feel it, it must be right. What is your capacity to be self-deceived? You shouldn't be shocked that these temptations to sin arise in your heart. If you still have your Bible, look over in Ephesians chapter (coughs) 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, these are first generation Christians. And he says to them, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom also we all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He says, this is the way we used to walk. This is the way our hearts were hardwired against God. We were his enemy. So why should you be surprised now that you have faith that those desires are not gone? The Bible promises that you will only be separated from those in glory in his presence. The Bible says that you can be self-deceived. You can tell yourself, this is fine. I can do this. And it's, it's interesting that sin in our lives has a way of looking good. If it was shown to you in its horror and ugliness, you would never desire to go after it. But it always looks like something beautiful. It always looks like something good. And the promise of it is what gets into our hearts. And it sticks there. And after years and decades and time of giving in and giving in and preferring that and setting Jesus aside... Then you come to God's word, the living and active word of God, and it pierces to your heart. It does that work. It's his work. It's not mine. It's his work by his spirit. It's deadly for you and I to live in denial that the desire is in our hearts if it's there. Do you hear me? It's deadly. It's deadly to live in and walk in sin, to read the Bible, to see that it's true. This is the revealed word of God. It's not my message, it's His. To believe that hiding it from others means that God can't or won't see it. And it's worse because we then begin to deceive ourselves and say, He won't do anything about it. I'm saved after all. Once saved, always saved, right? He won't do anything about it. But remember these words that we read just a couple weeks ago from Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Where the writer, this pastor says, beware, brethren, he's talking to the church, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You have the capacity to have your heart hardened. Unless you walk with the Lord by faith, trusting in Him, not trusting in yourself, trusting in Him, not trusting in your profession of faith, trusting in Him, believing His promises. And in the moments when you are tempted to say, I would rather choose the pleasures of this world or the riches of this world or the ways of this world rather than believing His promises, you risk hardening your own heart. You risk that. I'm not going to take verses 12 and 13 this morning and pick it apart and tell you the difference between the Greek words for soul and spirit or joints and marrow or the biblical significance of a two-edged sword. I want to ask you, how do these things relate? Entering into the rest of God and being diligent to walk in it. As he talks about here, what is the relation between this and living under the ministry of God's word by faith? Again, it says in chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the issue. It says that the Israelites who fell in the wilderness, it's not because they didn't do the right things. It's because they fell due to unbelief. Chapter 3, verse 19. That was the reason. So that's part of what we have to get at in these verses. What is he saying? How are these things related? And lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, there go you. 
One aspect of the greatness of God's word is that it absolutely pierces down through all the layers to expose our true selves. Am I walking in obedience or am I not? I'm not saying that you answer that question yourself. The word of God slices in past the the hard parts of bone and goes all the way to the the marrow, to to the soft part. It reveals who you are. Am I spiritual or am I natural? Are we born of God and spiritually alive or are we deceiving ourselves and really spiritually dead? As we hear the word of God, we sense ourselves pierced and the effect is to reveal whether there is spirit or not. And I believe that's a work that only the Holy Spirit can do in you by his word. You can't muster that on your own. But if you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit at this time, if he's revealing things to you, that's his work. That's not you. There's nothing in you that would naturally want to say this is sin. Naturally, we want to rebel against God because of our sin nature. In this way, the ministry of God's word to you, dear believers, dear people of God, is your most treasured weapon in the battle against sin and unbelief. The word of God is your most precious weapon in the battle. It penetrates deeper than any deception of sin ever could and has ever gone into your heart. And in the Bible, Jesus will reveal to you what is truly valuable in life, what's worth trusting and loving. He promises in his word that he does that for you. And as the word of God goes in and cuts, and it shows you what is my true self and what is my deception, you are in a moment of crisis. Will I walk in faith and repentance? Will I believe the truth or will I continue to believe the lie? Will I continue to take the false promises of my sin and walk away from the living God? This is the weight and significance of verse 13. As God lays bare your heart and soul before him, and he does, whether we believe it or not, he does it. Exposing remaining sin and unbelief, will you run to him by faith and cling to his promises? Or will you fall back in unbelief and disobedience? That's the question we started with this morning. Are you laboring to enter his rest by faith and belief in the gospel or not? When you come to the word of God, do you come to the word of God? Are you reading it, dear people? Are you opening your Bible? Are you reading it with your families, dads? Are you praying with your children? Are you saying what the psalmist said in Psalm 139? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and try my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. That's what the psalmist was asking for. Show me the truth and then guide me in it. Help me to hate sin and love you. Help me to walk with you and be obedient. Lord, help me not to be a legalist pointing my finger at other people who don't look like the Christian that I am. Show me how to walk and then guide me because I can't do it on my own. John chapter 15, without you I can do nothing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray for 
us. I pray for myself. I pray for your people here at Lebanon. As you have worked in our hearts today, as we have read this passage, as we have sung praises to you, as we have confessed what we believe, as we have participated in the worship of the living God, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, do spiritual work in our hearts. Expose to us areas of unbelief and disobedience and sin. And Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to repent. Give us that gift. And Lord, we pray for faith to believe. Because otherwise, hunting after rest in this world is a journey we will never finish. Lord, help us as your people to rest in you alone. Trusting in Christ alone. By faith alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing together hymn number 172, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder.
Galliot, this beautiful song. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would take our tithes and offerings that we present to you now, not as tokens of us hoping to get into heaven, but as our act of obedience, joyfully following your command, because we know we belong to you. Lord, I pray that you would use our tithes and offerings for spreading the name of the Lord Jesus throughout this world, that you would use these things for your glory, that you would get glory by us being obedient and giving. Lord, we thank you and praise you for blessing our families, for blessing us financially as a church, that you have had your hand upon us for these many years, and that we have seen your faithfulness. We rejoice in that today, in Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.